0: What's good boys and girls, welcome to the 2 Footed Podcast. Today is Monday, the 1st of November. We're brought to you by eplindex.com and a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location and access anything you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D, To get 50% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you can find on Etsy. Right folks, a lot to get through today. Nine games and massive news coming out of Tottenham Hotspur. So... I'm going to run through the games, and then we'll focus in on, on Spurs and the situation now at that club. So, first game of the weekend was obviously Leicester 0 Arsenal 2. Really good win for Arsenal. Gabriel with the first on five minutes. Really good header. Putting the ball past Kasper Schmeichel, leaving him at no chance. He has been outstanding for Arsenal in this recent run. and A lot of the credit's gone to Ben White. But Gabriel is comfortably the best defender they have right now. Tommy assu has been excellent. Obviously, Kieran Tierney missed out in this game with Nuno Tavares playing at left back. And Gabriel talked him through the game. Really, really impressive performance. The entire backline has looked much better. That's to their own credit. But he is absolutely the linchpin in there. They go 2-0 up. Emile Smith-Rowe with... And really tidy finish after good work from Saka and Lacazette. Ball broke free. Rolled to Smith-Rowe as he entered the box. And he put it past Casper. Gave him no chance. Arsenal were good value for their 2-0 lead. They really did deserve that. From there, though, there was a, a noticeable drop-off from Arsenal. And they allowed Leicester back into the game. And if it wasn't for Aaron Ramsdale having probably the game of his life, this game could easily have slipped away from the Gunners. He made at least four brilliant saves. One for me and actual. A long-distance shot that he got a good good hand to and turned round the, the post. Oh, onto the post, I think, and then, and then round. The second one is from a free kick from James Madison. Now, look. Some people will tell you this is the greatest save you'll ever see. I just think it's a very good save. It starts off, his positioning is dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. And his first step is poor. The save is very, very good. It looks better than it is because he flips it onto the crossbar rather than pushing it away. But he gets a hand to it and stops it going in. And that is what he's paid to do. It's a really good save. It's not in the corner. It's about a yard in. I think if Madison could have it back, he'd like it closer to the to the to the post. And I don't think Ramsdale can get to it if he does. The follow-up save is even better, I think. He gets up really quickly. Johnny Evans reacts lightning fast and thinks he's got an open goal. Ramsdale gets up really quickly, makes a smothering save, and Thomas Partey clears clears the mess after that I think the second save is more impressive because he goes from lying on the ground to getting up getting across the goal and making the save I think it's brilliant but credit to him for the double save and he's he's playing well at the moment it must be said now some of his passing was a little bit loose in this game one in particular that he played directly into central midfield to no Arsenal player in particular and Leicester got a counter on them Um. The other save he made was from Harvey Barnes in a 1v1 situation. That was impressive as well. Arsenal, I thought, on the balance of the game, deserved the win. But it did remind me a little bit of the Spurs game where they just dropped off. It was like they ran out of energy at some point and they allowed the opposition to come back in. I think if Leicester had been a little bit more ruthless in the game, I think they could have gotten a result here. Um, It's a bad result for Leicester, obviously, at home. After winning back-to-back games and the impressive showing they put in uh, against Manchester United a couple of weeks ago, this is another bad defeat. Four defeats now in 10 games. Negative two goal differential. They're 10th in the league, which will not be pleasing to Brendan. They've got Spartak Moscow up next in the Europa League. And then it's Leeds. At Elland Road, which will be tough. Then they go. Then they have Chelsea at home, Leslie Warsaw away. Then they do get Watford at home, Southampton away, and Villa away, which at the moment all look very winnable games. But the next couple of Premier League games will be tough for them, and Brendan might find himself coming under a little bit of pressure. Arsenal are up to sixth. They are unbeaten in seven games in the Premier League. This is back-to-back wins now. So they still have a negative goal difference because of the hammering they took at Manchester City, but they are unbeaten since that day. They're unbeaten they're without Granite Jack in the team. And I do think that speaks volumes about where they are with him. It's time to move him on. The contract in the summer was a mistake. One of a few mistakes I think they made in the summer. The Saliba situation been another. I'm still not sold. On the goalkeeper, I know he's playing well But I've seen goalkeepers play well before And then revert to to form And right now I put more trust in the 75 games He played before he got there Than the seven he's played there um, Same thing with Ben White On the ball looks very impressive Defensively There's still issues And some of them were exposed in that game The Harvey Barnes chance Comes from him not being where he should be But he's still young enough. He'll still develop. And with Gabriel there, Tierney to come back in and Tommy Asu. They've got a good foundation. If they can sort out the spot next to Partey in midfield, I quite like what they've got. I still think there may be one short up front. Long term. But for now, Aubameyang-Lacazette playing quite well. Lacazette looked good in this game. And those two kept switching places. Lacazette started nominally behind Aubameyang, but they were switching regularly and Aubameyang was dropping and Lacazette was filling that central space. And it worked. It really did cause Leicester a lot of problems at the back. So credit to Arsenal, credit to Arteta. Current form, very, very good. Uh, Sixth in the league, they'll be thrilled with that. Um, It's a good turnaround after a disastrous first three games. That's where we leave that one. Moving on then, Watford nil, Southampton won. Che Adams with the only goal of the game. Really, really impressive finish from Adams. Picked the ball up just inside the Watford box. No backlift, no real purchase on it, but manages to clip the ball into the far top corner. Ben Foster can't get anywhere close to it. Now, I think Les, uh, Watford rather deserved something from this game. I thought they had a couple of good chances. Um, McCarthy made a good save. Walker-Peters cleared one off the line. I thought they put good pressure on Southampton. But credit to Saints, and credit especially to those two centre-backs, Bednarak and Salisu, playing really, really well and really forming a good understanding early, which is important to, to Southampton. Didn't think the midfield functioned all that well, and I thought they really lacked Diallo's engine in midfield Ward-Prowse just didn't look like he was fully up to speed Um, so I think I think Diallo should come back in I think Ward-Prowse and Elianassi in the wide areas is probably their best course of action at the minute make them a little bit more solid and you get Ward-Prowse's abilities on the ball further forward And you don't have his defensive frailties there either. Um, Southampton, it's their second win of the season. Lifts them up to 14th, ahead of Aston Villa. So they will be very, very happy with that. They're unbeaten in three. Two wins out of those three games. So they've turned things around again after a bad start. They get Villa at home next. That's Friday night. Then Norwich away. So two winnable games. Then they go to Liverpool. Then they get Leicester at home. And then Brighton at home. So those are three difficult ones. But the next two, very, very winnable for them. For Watford, 16th. After hammering Everton, you kind of hoped they would find a bit of momentum. Because unfortunately for them, their next five are horrible. Arsenal away. United at home. Leicester away. Chelsea at home. City at home. That's a really tough run of five games. And then it's Brentford, and then Burnley, and then Palace. It it doesn't get easy for them. It really doesn't get easy for them at all. They've also got West Ham before the end of the year, and then Tottenham on New Year's Day. It's a really, really difficult run coming up for Watford, and you really do begin to fear for them, because there's good players in the team, there's not enough of them, and there's none of them in defence. That defence just isn't up to scratch. You feel sorry for Ben Foster because even against Liverpool, he made some great saves. But just the amount of work he's having to do behind that defence is unacceptable at the Premier League level. Uh, We'll move forward. Liverpool 2, Brighton 2. Don't want to get too in-depth on this. If you want to hear more in-depth on it, I did the Daily Red podcast, which is free to listen to on Anfieldindex.com. Uh, no paywall on that one. You can listen to that. I did about 25 minutes today, and about 20 of it was on that game. And the issues Liverpool have in midfield, the issue with Andy Robertson at left-back, currently in the worst run of form he's he's been in at Liverpool, and it's not a short-term thing. It's been probably since about February that Robertson has been struggling. He looks like a player who's played too much football in recent times. And maybe Costa Simicus needs to come in, but Liverpool's injuries in midfield are killing them at the minute. They're they're really struggling to put together a three man midfield they can rely on, and it's going to get worse now because Naby Cade has now injured. He'd been the one bright spark in that midfield. Thiago's missed most of the season. Fabinho's injured. Milner's injured. Not that he would make much of a difference, but he's a body. Harvey Elliott's injury was 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 a tough one to take for them. Considering how he come into the team and was doing so well. They're left with Oxlade Chamberlain, who needs a run of form. They're left with Curtis Jones, who's who can't play that left sided role, doesn't have the defensive now to do it. And Henderson at the six, doesn't have the defensive nous to play the number six position against a team that are progressive and aggressive in midfield. And is in really bad form himself. Three good games this season. Three good performances. It's being ignored by the large, for the most part, by mainstream media, so that if he turns it around, they can pretend it didn't happen, as they did in the 1920 season. Um, but it, it can't go unnoticed for much longer just how poor Jordan Henderson is playing. He is a liability for Liverpool at the moment. He's not good enough on the ball to be as bad defensively as he is. He's played 13 games this season. Twelve real games, nine in the Premier League, three in the Europa League. He's the Europa League, the Champions League. He's been poor in all three Champions League games, and outside of the Burnley game, the Watford game, and the United game, he's been dreadful in the Premier League. Jurgen Klopp needs to address it. Now he doesn't have much choice for the next game, and all likelihood, Fabinho and Thiago might not be ready, but as soon as they are. That fella needs a spell on the bench. He needs to get himself right because right now he can't be in that team. Brighton were excellent. They deserve all the credit. Basuma was excellent. Mwepu was excellent. Trossard was outstanding. Hot Cucurella and Dunk had very, very good games. To go two behind at Anfield, come back, get the draw, and probably deserve to win the game. Is a massive credit to the mentality of the team. It's a massive credit to the manager. Who made a good tactical change early on. But Henderson to put Liverpool one up. Sadio Mane made a 2. And then Wepu with an outstanding goal on 41. Made a 2-1 just before half time. Before Troussard on 65. Made a 2-2. Like I said. More on that game on the Daily Red podcast. Which you can get. On Anfieldindex.com Liverpool are second in the league So it's by no means a hammer blow to them But They have already drawn Four games in the league this season And that's of a concern Because it feels a bit like The 18-19 season Where Liverpool were the better team But drew too many games And City won the league Liverpool I think are a better team than Chelsea But right now, they're drawing too many games and Chelsea are picking up wins. And here's the concerning stat of the day. Liverpool are yet to win a Premier League game in which they have conceded a goal. That, to me, is worrying. That, to me, is of concern. Uh, Next five for the Reds, they get... Obviously, in the Champions League this week, they have Atletico Madrid. So that's a a big game for them. Then West Ham away, which, given the Hammers' form, will be a tough game. Then it's Arsenal at home. Then Porto at home in the Champions League. Then Southampton at home. Then Everton away. And then Wolves away. So not the easiest run, but definitely some winnable games in there. But they need to sort out that midfield because the midfield is what's causing the defense to have nightmares. They were dreadful against Brighton and Liverpool conceded two. They were dreadful against City and Liverpool conceded two. They were dreadful against um, Brentford and Liverpool conceded two. They were dreadful against Chelsea. Liverpool didn't concede any. They conceded one, but they didn't create anything. Even when Chelsea had ten men, they couldn't force the issue because the midfield just wasn't wasn't up to scratch. So these are things that Jurgen Klopp will need to work on. But he's one of the best managers in the world. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he'll do it in double quick time. Uh, For Brighton, they do drop in the table to seventh. And they are winless now in their last five games. Uh, I think it's actually winless in six, But that is a bit of a concern for them. Um, But, look, they'd have taken seventh. They've only lost twice in the league this year. Once to City which is understandable, once to Everton when they were playing really well. They get Newcastle next at home. That's a game they should win. Then they go to Villa. I think they'll be confident going to Villa, given how poor Villa are at the moment. Leeds at home, a game they should win. West Ham away will be very, very tough. But then Southampton away is another game they should be looking to get points in. So all things considered, things are going really well for Brighton. I think Graham Potter is doing an outstanding job. We're seeing what it is that he wants them to do, how quickly he is to make in-game changes as well as what I think helps project him as potentially a guy who could go into a big six club and do very well. Uh, we'll move from there. Next up is Newcastle nil, Chelsea 3. Now, when Steve Bruce was in charge, Newcastle regularly lined up With five at the back And they regularly only had One shot on goal But don't ever really remember Them only having 20% Possession at home But Graham Jones Apparently is a nice guy, he's a positive guy So he's not getting Chastised for this Obviously he's only the caretaker They're still looking to appoint a new manager Rumours today that Unai Emery Is the favourite for the job and he'd be a good appointment, I do think. He's a good manager. He's not a great manager, but he is a good, a good manager. He's obviously had a lot of success in the Europa League. I think Emery would be a really good starting point for the new era of Newcastle. I think he's good enough to keep them up. Whether the team is good enough or not is another thing. But getting him out of Real at this point could be difficult because he's obviously... Building something there, or he, he has built something there. I think you could get him in for two and a half, three seasons, and he would put you in a position where you could go and look then for an elite level manager to come in and get you top four and beyond. But of the names mentioned, Emery is one of the ones that stands out as a really good pick for them. Certainly better than Lucian Favre. The Fonseca thing all seems to have gone quiet. Uh, as they continue to search for a new manager, but they can't search for much longer. This performance and these type of results, not acceptable. And they were fortunate it was only three, because Hakim Ziyech had a goal disallowed for offside, and he was offside, fair enough, but that was an early warning shot. He hit the post. They He missed a really good chance from a Rhys James cross That he just didn't react quickly enough to. I think it took a deflection off Havertz on its way across. But he didn't react quickly enough to it. But they could have been three down early. Uh, As it was, Reese James gets the first. It's bad defending. It's a great strike on his left foot. But it's bad defending to let him get that strike in. James made it two with a second goal. There was a shot from distance by Loftus-Cheek that was blocked. Keeper had committed to diving for it. Was lying on the ground. Ball bounces to Reece James he just puts his foot through it and sends it flying into the net. Really good strike from James but no keeper to beat and the third goal then is a penalty. Kai Havertz rounds the keeper, keeper takes him down Jorginho steps up uh, and with minimal fuss makes it three like I said it could have been a lot heavier it really could have been a lot heavier it's concerning for Newcastle that even with Bruce gone, the football's not improving it's actually getting worse they're having less of the ball They're less progressive, which is amazing. I think Graham Jones is doing himself damage here. I think if he had any thoughts that maybe you know do well as Newcastle caretaker and maybe get a championship job when one of them opens up, I don't know that this will do him any favours at all. Toon are second from bottom, yet to win in the Premier League this season. Four draws gives them four points. They have a negative 12 goal differential. Not good at all. They go to Brighton next. That's a tough one. Then they have Brentford at home. Brentford aren't in great form, so that could be a winnable game. Then they go to Arsenal. Then Norwich at home. And then Burnley at home. So whoever comes in, if they come in in the international break, the first four games, they're not dreadful. Three of them are at home. Three of them are against teams that aren't in great form, though Burnley did win for the first time this season at the weekend. Arsenal's the only really difficult game there. It's an away game. Brentford won't be easy by any stretch. They'll cause everybody trouble, and I think you'll see a motivated Ivan Tony in that one going back to his former club. But with the form Brentford are currently in, that just could be one they could pick up at least a point in, uh, get through the Arsenal game, and then you go Norwich and Burnley at home. Then it'll get, it'll get tougher because they've got Leicester, Liverpool, City, United and Everton before the end of the year. So those five will be tough. But the next five aren't that bad. They're not that bad. The Brighton one is the toughest game of the lot. Although the Arsenal one obviously is, I think, a close second. Um, for Chelsea, top of the table. And people are talking about how they're overperforming. It's not sustainable. I don't know. It looks pretty sustainable to me because it doesn't look like they're playing beyond their capabilities. They get Malmo in the Champions League in midweek. Then it's Burnley at home out of form. Leicester away. Juventus at home. United at home. Watford away and then West Ham away. The West Ham game there is the toughest one. The West Ham game is the toughest of those five. Leicester aren't in good form. United played well at the weekend in a counter-attacking style that I don't think will work all that well against Chelsea, who don't commit too many men forward. But Burnley and Watford are games, they'll definitely fancy winning. I think they'll, they'll get results against Leicester and, and United, favourable results. They've got a three-point lead at the top of the table, and they look formidable. And they're doing this without Romelu Lukaku. They're doing this without the ninety ninety five or whatever million pound striker. Um, they're doing this rotating players as well. They've got depth in most places. They've got quality pretty much everywhere. I still think that defence can be got at if you play them a certain way. But I think you have to be aggressive and go aerial. Go the long ball and get loads of runners into their box. Teams don't do that. There's not many teams to play that way. I think Silva can be exposed. I think Mendy makes bad decisions from time to time. But right now, teams aren't taking advantage of those things. Uh, Manchester City, nil. Crystal Palace, two, at the Etihad. The shock result of the weekend. A brilliant performance by Crystal Palace, fully deserving the win. Wilf Saha put them one up on six minutes. I would love to know what Ruben Diaz thinks before he acts because he throws himself on the floor again close to the halfway line for no reason. Zaha plays a 1-2 with with Gallagher, picks the ball up. It's not the best shot in the world by any any stretch. It's fairly weakly hit, but in it goes. In it goes across the goalkeeper. And Palace were good value for that lead for most of the first half. City had a couple of half chances, didn't really create anything of note. In the second, or oh, just before Sorry, just before half time, Diaz goes to contest the ball with Edward. I think it was Edward uh, for no reason. There's no reason at all. For, yeah, it is Edward for no. There's no reason for Diaz to contest this ball. He can't win it, and Edouard is closer to the halfway line than the City penalty box. Doesn't get close to it. Edouard heads it on, and Zaha is 1v1 with Laporte. Zaha shifts the ball past him on the turn, and Laporte pulls him down. It's a definite red card, deny, denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. And off goes Laporte, and he will be the villain. But the goal wasn't his fault, or the descending off is not his fault. The situation is down to Ruben Diaz, as was the first goal. And the thing with Diaz is, I've watched quite a bit of City's games from last season back, and he was making these mistakes, but he was getting away with them. These aren't new to him. He is a rash defender. He is overly aggressive at times. I mean, he doesn't need to be. But the goal and the red card are down to Ruben Diaz in that first half. It's an appalling performance. City come out in the second half and Gabby Jesus puts the ball in the net. It's 1-1. But it's not because Phil Foden is offside in the build-up. Did a couple of other half-decent chances. Uh, Rodri had a decent chance from a Grealish cutback. They really struggled to break down Palace, who just defended brilliantly, who worked really hard in midfield and who carried a threat on the counter. And that threat was seen with their second goal when Zaha, Olise, uh, and Gallagher break forward. Olise releases Zaha. You think he's taken, Zaha's taken too much out of the ball, but he finds Olise again. He plays the first-time pass to Gallagher, who rattles the ball past the net, or past the, the keeper, into the net. It's a great goal. It's well-deserved. And City city were, out, were out-fought and outplayed by a really good Crystal Palace team. A really, really good Crystal Palace team. And that centre-back pairing, once again, Anderson and Guehi, so, so good. Just didn't give City an inch. And I think we're getting close to time where a conversation will have to be had about Jack Grealish because he's playing terribly and he doesn't offer much to this City team. I think if he didn't cost £100 million, if Pep hadn't insisted on him, I don't think he'd be in the team right now because he doesn't warrant inclusion in their first eleven. And yes, Raheem Sterling's form is up and down, but he's a lot better than Jack Grealish. A lot better. I think Pep is going to have to take a quick look at that because he can't continue to play Grealish with these performances. He's had maybe two or three good performances this season. All in games that were wide open where teams rolled over for City. You know, Norwich rolled over, Arsenal rolled over, Leipzig didn't roll over, but it was like a basketball game. It was end to end. That type of football suits Grealish. When teams settle into a a, a good defensive shape against him, he doesn't seem to have much in the way of the ability to unlock a defense, which is what people told us he could do. But I really like what I'm seeing from Palace. I think there's a strong case that Vieira is is. Right now, the front runner for manager of the year. Now, I know that Palace, it's not like they're charging for the, the top six or anything. They're currently 13th. They've only won two games this season. But they're playing really well. They're defending really well. They should have beaten Brighton. They should have beaten Arsenal. Both of whom are above them. You give them wins in both of those games, well, they'd currently be sixth. They'd currently be sixth if they'd won both of those games. That's just the fine margins in the Premier League. But they're much closer right now to being a sixth-place team than a 13th-place team. The football they're playing, how well they're defending, how hard they're working. And this is still like stage one of the rebuild at Crystal Palace. It's so early. Fiera's only in the door the, the centre-back pairing only arrived in the summer Gallagher's hopefully going to stay there long term I'd love to see them buy him outright in the summer Because I think he's so important to them And he's playing really, really well And Chelsea don't really have a spot for him Olise hasn't broken into the team yet as a starter That's to come They've got Ezzy to come back Edward is still finding his feet in the league. Wilf Zaha is, is just... He's growing on me more and more. I was never a big Zaha fan. I always wondered if he was a player that could facilitate winning. One who turned up for the cameras, but would often drift through a lot of games. Right now, he's, he's playing really well since coming back into the team from the injury. Now, I will say he was subject to a lot of racial abuse after this game from city fans. And that's a disgrace. It's 2021. It's 2021 needs to stop. It really, really needs to stop. And I saw David Beckham did LeBron James's the shop uh, show recently. Uh, I think it's to come out on this next season. And he said, we were talking about racism in the nineties as a major problem in sport how are we still talking about it now but we are regularly and it's not just in football it's in all sorts of a major issue in cricket at the moment how are we still in a situation where people think it's okay to go online and say things like this i saw not last week the week before maybe the journalist was adam crafton from it was adam crafton I think it was Adam Crafton from the Atlantic who wrote the piece about um, the persecution of homosexuals in Saudi Arabia, and I, the things people said to him in response to that article were just outrageous. You just you don't you don't expect much more of people on social media because you become kind of. Immune to it is the wrong word, but you become so used to it being there. And when I saw that, it was jarring. And when I see the stuff that was said to Zaha, a lot of it on Instagram, in his mentions, or, you know, his comments to pictures, just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And I've no idea how these people think they can get away with it. But Twitter and Instagram need to get their act together. They really need to get their act together together and when people say any of these words or post any of these emojis or do anything like this i believe their information should be immediately sent to their local police because twitter know where they are they have locations for them they have their names now obviously some people will sign up with fake names and there's only so much you can do but they have their ip addresses for the most part I think that information should be directly sent to the police, and I think the police need to act on it. It's completely unacceptable. But Wilf Zaha very much growing on me. Love how much needle there is in his game. Really enjoyed his performance at the weekend. I really hope he stays, and I hope he stays long-term. They'll build a statue of him at that club, because they're a club on the up now. He's been there through the doldrums, the bad years, all the bad managers, all the horrible football. Right now, they're playing good football. It's a younger team in phase 1 of their next era and they've got a hell of an academy they've just opened an absolutely outstanding facility one of the best in the country that's going to enable them to attract some of the best young players in south london and i said this before what they need to do is build a wall around south london they need to be the team that goes out and gets the best young players that come through that that region ahead of the others in, in around charlton etc to stop Arsenal and Chelsea coming in and stealing their, their potential players. And then they need to be at the forefront of the queue when players don't quite make the grade at Arsenal or Chelsea or Spurs. They need to be the club that snaps those players up, gets them in, develops them. A huge, huge opportunity a huge talent pool in London becoming more and more prevalent season by season. You see these incredible young players... We are, I've said this before, we are entering the golden generation, the golden era for English football, I believe. There's so much great talent out there. The only position that I think is falling behind is the goalkeeping position, but they're always few and far between those high level goalkeepers. It's rare you see any country have three or four really good keepers at one time. Italy have had it in the past. Germany potentially had it, but a lot of those players didn't quite develop. Karius didn't develop. Timo Horn didn't develop. Kevin Trapp didn't develop. Ter Stegen did. Now he's he's in a regression stage at the moment. Uh, Bernd Leno didn't quite become what he was meant to. Before that, obviously, Nauer. René Adler, who was more talented than Nauer, but didn't develop in a couple of injuries, Germany have been quite lucky. They've had, you know, solid goalkeepers and obviously one great one in an hour. You look at Italy in the, in the 90s when you had Peruzzi, you had Pagliuca, Marqueziani, then Toldo came through and then Buffon came through. They had great goalkeepers. Spain had Casillas, Pepe Reina, Victor Valdez. Uh, then De Gea came on the scene. England haven't yet had that. Now, they did it in the 90s. You had Seaman, you had Martin, you had Tim Flowers, uh, David James, though he had some major issues dealing with crosses. Uh, Ian Walker was a good keeper. If we can get a couple more high-level young goalkeepers, I think England will be in great shape because they've got a ton of good right-backs. I'd say a good amount of good left-backs. I think there's a really promising group of centre-backs. Not sure there's a great one among them. But Konza, I think, is, going to be, is 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 already very good and I think can be a level below world-class. Gwehi, the same. Tamore. I really like Tolson. Ben White is in that mix as well in that age group. Ben Godfrey. I still think Mason Holgate's a good defender as well. A little bit short for an international centre-back, but in that mix, really good options in midfield and incredible options out wide and up front. And Crystal Palace can take advantage of that because a lot of those players are coming through in London. And if they can pitch on, look, go to Arsenal, go to Spur, go to Chelsea, you could get lost in the shuffle. Look at the volume of players they have. Come here, It's a smaller group, more of a family feel to this club, similar similar level facilities, absolutely similar level facilities, if not exactly the same level facilities. Get those good coaches in, get those good players in, and the sky is the limit for Palace. They're a London club. They're a London club. It's always going to be a big bonus for them. Now, I don't think they'll ever be a Premier League winner, but. In terms of bringing through players They can establish themselves as a top half team And have a really exciting Next 10 years As opposed to the dross we've witnessed For the last 10 years Um, Moving on Next game up We have Burnley 3 Brentford 1 Chris Wood on 4 minutes Westwood played the ball through Ethan Pinnock just didn't react Quick enough, couldn't get to the ball Wood ran off the back of him, and it's a very, very good finish past um Fernandez in the Brentford goal. Matt Lawton made it two on 32 minutes. McNeil found Cornet but pushed him a little bit too far. Oh no, it wasn't McNeil, it was it was Westwood again, I think. Pushed Cornet a little bit too far wide. He took the ball back for Charlie Taylor. And Matty Lawton made a run into the box unmarked. And then got right on top of Rico Henry. And Henry had no chance. Henry's 5'8". Lawton's a, a bigger, stronger player. Beat him in the air. Good header past the keeper. No blame could really be assigned to to Henry, I don't think. I think he just got caught, got blindsided. But um, it was a really good start for, for Burnley. And then they followed that up straight away. Uh, Max Cornet with his third goal in two games. Another really good goal. If you, I don't know if you saw his goals against Southampton, but the header was very good. And the second one was absolutely outstanding. This was a great goal. Good touch, beats his man, opens the space up, and rattles a right-footed shot into the net. No chance for the goalkeeper. He is looking like a good signing for them. Um, playing up front with Chris Wood, it, it's suiting him. And I said during the summer, I thought, if they need to get someone pacey in around the strike, I thought they need to get someone in. As well as Corne. Because they don't have great numbers. And I thought he might play wide. They don't have great squad depth. But up front it's it's working out really well. Him and Chris Wood. Building a good dynamic there. And this is back to back good results for Burnley. Uh, their first one of the season. Now they are still in the bottom three. But this will be a big confidence booster for them. Seven points now. Five clear of Norwich. Three clear of Newcastle. Three behind uh, Leeds and... Leeds, Watford and Aston Villa. But they've got a better goal difference than Leeds. The same goal difference as Watford and only one goal less off or worse off rather than than Villa. So a win next time out could easily put them into 15th if those three teams continue to struggle. Um, big, big win for Burnley. They have a tough run coming up though. It's Chelsea away next. Then they're at home to Palace. Then at home to Spurs. Then it's Wolves away, then Newcastle away. Their games, they'll look, I think, to get points in. Their bad start this season is a little bit more concerning than the bad start last season. But I still think Dyche gets them out of it. I still think he's too good to go down. So I think they will be fine. Uh, I think it'll be a struggle for them, a season-long struggle to stay up. But I think they'll be fine. I think they'll manage. Um for Brentford. This is three defeats on the bounce. Now they were very unfortunate obviously to lose to um to Chelsea. Then they were beaten by Leicester. Up next they get Norwich, then they get Newcastle, and then they get an out of form Everton. So they're three winnable games. Then it's Tottenham at home. Sorry, then it's Tottenham away and then Leeds away. Those will be difficult but they do have two winnable games coming up next. And look, the only thing that matters for them this season is staying in the division. That's that's it. It doesn't really matter beyond that. Stay in the division. When you're newly promoted to the Premier League, it's, it is the only mandate. Stay in the division. And I think they will. I think they'll be absolutely fine. They're five points clear of Burnley in 18th, and I think they'll pick up a couple of good results now in the next two games. And and be absolutely fine. Uh they could do with Tony finding his, his goal scoring boots. Not sure where he's left them, but they could really do with him getting getting some more goals. Um Tottenham Nil, Manchester United three. Ollie went to a back five, which is what spoofers do when they're trying to sort out defensive issues. You've got back three managers, and then you've got spoofers who use a back three. And this was more of a more of a back five. Wan-Bissaka and Shaw are not wing-backs They are full-backs um, Maguire and Varane apparently Needed Lindelof to hold their hand So he had to play all three of them He played Bruno as a right side at eight in the midfield three Which I've been calling for and it worked But thought Bruno had a good game He created the first goal for Cristiano uh, Really good goal, credit to Cristiano Great movement at the back post And a brilliant volley across From, from right to left You'd maybe question whether the keeper should do better But it's, it's such a well-struck shot I'm not sure he could from there, United just sat in and just counter-attacked the life of the Spurs. Um, Cavani made it two on 64. Again, Fernandez involved, Cristiano involved, and it's Cristiano's assist for, uh, for Cavani, who beat the keeper quite easily. And then Rashford on 86, off the bench, just running in behind. Very, very simple, running in behind and slotting the ball past Hugo Lloris. Um, don't do too much on Spurs yet. I'll do it in a few minutes. But obviously, this game uh, came at this defeat rather came with a heavy price for Nuno, who has been sacked this morning. Um, for United, it was a good reaction to what happened against Liverpool, and Oli reverted to what he has done before, which is play a defensive minded team, bed in, and try and counter attack, and it worked really well. Uh, I thought the Spurs were really naive in their performance, but United were clinical. They took the opportunities that came their way, and they scored three good goals. They scored three really good goals, and um, they showed some fight, which was good. Like Fred looked up for it, McTominay looked up for it. Thought Wan Bissaka had a good game. Made one great recovery tackle uh, after Spurs had cut through their defence. He ch- uh, chased down Son. He probably made up 10 yards over about a 40-yard sprint and got in a great tackle. Now, I think some was offside, but still, it was was really good to see. Uh, He didn't try and do too much on the ball, and having Bruno just to his left meant that he wasn't asked to do too much. He was basically just there, if Bruno needed him, to take the ball and give it back or take the ball, give it to Lindelof, take the ball, play it forward. He didn't have to try and carry the ball too much. You wouldn't want him as a wing-back long-term, but in this game, I thought he had a good one. Um, credit to United. Big, big response to what happened last weekend. They needed this. They hadn't won in four Premier League games, three of them defeats. So they did need this result. Um, and they needed the momentum because at Atalanta away in the Champions League and then Manchester City up next in the Premier League. It is at Old Trafford. Oli does have quite a good record against City since taking over, so could be a result there to be had. Then they go to Watford, then they go to Villarreal, then it's Chelsea away, then Arsenal at home, and then Crystal Palace at home. It is a tough run. It's a very, very tough run. Now, Oli will feel, if he gets through that, that then there's winnable games. Young boys at home, Norwich away, Brentford away, Brighton at home. Newcastle away And Burnley at home Before Wolves at home Like he'll feel if he can get through this Their run up until mid-January With Aston Villa being the last one Is quite a favourable result If he's still in charge After I would say after the Chelsea game Because I think they'll get a result at home to Arsenal Palace at home will be tough But I think if they if he can get through the end of November I think all he's safe till the end of the season Personally um, and in a fortunate thing, he may well have taken the man they most wanted to replace him out of the picture. Uh, we'll come back to Spurs obviously because there's quite a bit to say. Uh, into Sunday leads to Norwich one at uh, at Carrow Road. Uh, Rafinha with a good goal put leads up on fifty six. Oma Bamadeli scored with a good header on 58 to uh, level the game. And then Rodrigo, two minutes later, made a 2-1 to Leeds. Ozan Kabak getting a lot of blame. This is entirely on Tim Krul. Um, when Quebec loses the ball, having been told to carry the ball out of the fence as part of his duties, there are six Norwich players behind him. And it's not a particularly well-struck shot. It's not a well-placed shot. It's very central. And Tim Krul just makes a mess of it. Makes an absolute mess of it. Poor footwork, poor reactions. Norwich very unlucky. I think they deserved a point in this game. Um, I do wish he'd been off the back three. I, I think he really needs to have a look at Grant Hanley. I've been mm-hmm. saying this for weeks. I think he really needs to take a long look at, at Grant Hanley. Because he's just not up to up to scratch in this division. Now, I don't know about Oma Bamadelli as a centre-back in a two. But when Ben Gibson comes back, Quebec and Gibson is better than anything with Grant Hanley in it. Um, I thought Norwich deserved a draw in this game, but it's a huge win for Leeds. And I think they'll be absolutely delighted by the victory. Um, they're second of the season. They're three points clear of Burnley. If they'd lost this game, they'd be in the bottom three. But it's, it's two wins and a draw from the last four. I think that's their best way to look at it. Ignore the first six games. Look at the last four. And try and build from there. Doesn't get easy for them though. Leicester at home. Tottenham away. Brighton away. Palace at home. Brentford at home. It's a difficult, tough five. And it gets worse. Just then they get Chelsea, City, Arsenal and Liverpool. That's a really tough four game run. But the next nine games there are really going to be crucial for them. They can't afford to go on a a losing streak. They can't afford to be dropping points, especially at home. They've got to pick up some results here. Now, Leicester aren't in great form. Spurs aren't in great form. Brentford aren't in great form. So those are games they could maybe target. Brighton are playing well. Palace are playing well. Those will be tough. You'd back Bielsa to keep them safe because he's a great manager. but a little bit concerning. Norwich look dead and buried. Two points from ten games, only three goals scored. Yet to win. Brentford away next, then Southampton at home, then Wolves at home, then Newcastle away, and then Spurs away. It's not a difficult run. That Spurs game is the is the most difficult of it. Brentford aren't in good form. They look at Southampton, and Norwich, and not be too scared. Certainly, Southampton and Wolves not be too scared. of Them same with Newcastle but they've got like if they're going to have any chance they have to win i would say at least 2 of the next 5 and if they don't we might just write them off we might just have to write them off simple as that uh final game then aston villa disastrous performance aston villa won west ham 4 uh ben johnson put west ham one up on 7 minutes uh worked the goal well, broke it on the left hand side. You'd want your defenders getting closer. You really would want your defenders getting closer and blocking that shot. I think the goalkeeper sees it late, but again, I think you'd ask him to be a bit better on that one. Uh Declan Wright, oh sorry, Ollie Watkins made it one-one on thirty-four. Good work from Emi Buendia. The only good thing Emmy Buendia did in the game. Um cut in on the right hand side, cut the ball back, and Watkins finished. You thought, okay, maybe a bit of life now in Villa. Maybe maybe they'll do something. Notable that they dropped Tyron Mings. Dean Smith took the decision to drop Tyron Mings. But he dropped Tunzebi as well and brought in Courtney Howes. He's not very good. Courtney Howes is a championship defender. Um, Tunzebi had been playing pretty well. You would have liked to have seen Konza and Tunzebi. They do have an issue at left-back in that Matt Target is way out of form. So that's a concern as well. And the only other left-back they have is Ashley Young. They had to bring Ashley Young on early in midfield because of an injury to Ramsey. And he just can't play in midfield. He never really could. He was a winger who played, moved to full-back. He played in the midfield three a handful of times and was fairly disastrous. He, he's not good enough in midfield. He, he needs more time on the ball, which he gets in wide areas, doesn't get in the centre of the park. Um, Declan Rice made a 2-1 on 38 minutes. It's a decent shot from the edge of the box, but again, I think you're asking questions about the goalkeeper. I think he's slow to react. He may well see it late, but I think he is slow to react on that one. On 50 minutes, Ezri Konza gets sent off, and the game ends as a contest. Now, I think VAR has done Ezri Konza dirty here. Corny or Hauser or halls or have you say he should have been sent off? He sticks his forearm. Into the throat of a West Ham player as he gets badly beaten for the ball. I don't know what he's doing. He turns his back on it, throws his elbow and his arm up, and just clotheslines them. And it's disgraceful. It's a it's a straight red card. Now, what happens to Konza is a red card because he does deny Bowen a goal scoring opportunity. There's two major issues here. One is that the game should have been stopped on the the Houser one. And if it's stopped on that, if it's reviewed and a red card is given, or even if he's just booked for it, then the action afterwards doesn't count. Oh, so Dermot Gallagher said on Sky this morning, both would have been sent off, so uh, they would have allowed the advantage on the Halls one, and, and yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So both would have been sent off. That would have been not be- not great for, for Villa, but um. Konza does well. He's left 2v1. He wins the ball in the first challenge. And then he's stretching a little bit, and he clips the heels of Bowen, who reacts really quickly onto the ball. Now, if Ashley Young wasn't jogging back, if he sprints back, he's probably in a position to deny the goal-scoring opportunity, and maybe Kanza stays on. But I really do feel for Esri Konza at the moment. Like I like Maddie Cash as a right back, but he's not a great defender. He's very good going forward, but he's not a great defender. House is poor. Mings is awful. Matt targets way out of form. Ezra Conza is carrying that defence all by himself and getting little to no help in the midfield. John McGinn, I, I've always felt he's overrated. He's a good player, not a great player. Villa's about his level. I think if Villa want to progress and become a, a European calibre team. I think they'll need to do it with John McGinn as a squad player. Marvellous Akamba is a signing that hasn't worked. Ramsey's still a kid. Uh, the front three, the front three, uh, Buendia hasn't started life well in the Midlands. It'll take him time. I don't think he's been used particularly well. Uh, Watkins got a goal, was poor in the game, though. And Leon Bailey, just back from injury, didn't look good at all. West Ham, though, are very, very good. That's the only thing to really say about them. They're very, very good. Strong at the back. Excellent in midfield. And very good in the front four. And the thing is, they've got a midfield and front four that contain three of the same players who are working themselves into the ground in Bowen, Fernals, and Benrama. All of them playing excellently. And notable that some are signing Nikola Vlasic, who's a really good player. Can't get in the team because those three are playing so well. They're part of the midfield five when they don't have the ball. They're part of a front four when they do. Antonio is the linchpin up front. Rice and Suchek as a double pivot. Excellent. Rice rightly getting a lot of plaudits, but Thomas Suchek is quickly becoming the most underrated player in the league. Because I think a lot of what Declan Rice is doing right now is because of Thomas Suchek's presence behind him I think he's giving Rice a lot of freedom In in an attacking sense I think he's also helping him hugely defensively Um, There's No point in crossing against them because Zuma Is winning everything in the air I still think They could do an upgrade at left back I think they've got a better goalkeeper on the bench Than they do in, in the team but For now the jersey belongs to Fabianski because you're not going to change a winning team. You're going to keep it as it is. But credit to Moyes. I mean, what a job he's done there. When he took over the second time, it didn't start well. The first couple of months were poor. But I think the last seven or eight games of the 1920 season, all of last season, and obviously the first 10 games of this season. So you're looking at a season and a half. I think he's been outstanding. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. And this team are really playing for him. He has them all really committed. And you see guys coming off the bench. Lanzini comes off the bench, makes an impact. Guy hadn't made an impact in a couple of years. Flasic is a good option off the bench. Sufal is a starting right back, and he'll be back once he's 100% fit, but able to bring him off the bench. Issa Diop, good centre-back on the bench. Areola, very good goalkeeper on the bench. They still need to add to that squad but they're building and they're building something for the first time that could be sustainable which hasn't been a thing for West Ham in their Premier League lives because when they looked like they were building something from their academy all of those players got taken away. Carrick, Lampard, Ferdinand, Defoe, Joe Cole, Glenn Johnson all of them got taken away. Bigger clubs come in and pluck them out. When they had Dimitri Payat, he was always going to want to move on. He he saw bigger things for himself. But this group, I don't know why anyone any of them would leave right now. Rice is the one who probably will be the first one to go. But like for Benrama, Fornals, Bowen, Suchek, Antonio, Zuma, Albana, Ariola, I I think this is about where they are where they should be is playing for a team who's likely going to finish top six, top seven. I think that's their ceiling. And I think Moyes is getting their ceiling out of them. And he's getting a little bit of overperformance as well. He's also helped by the fact that, you know, you look at the table, West Ham are fourth. But below them, United have been a mess for a month now. Arsenal had a disastrous start. Tottenham, they've won five and drawn five. Or won five and lost five, rather. They're they're one, you know, one extreme to the other. I would still fancy one of them to finish above West Ham. Uh, Leicester have been poor. West Ham have taken advantages of the others failing. It reminds me of Leicester when they won the title. It really does. It reminds me of Leicester when they won the title. They're not, Leicester weren't the best team in the league, but they were the one team who was consistent. West Ham aren't the fourth best team in the league, but they are consistent. And right now, they deserve to be fourth. Leveling points with City, five points off the top, and up next, they play Liverpool. That's a big, big opportunity. They have Genk in mid midweek in the Europa League, but Liverpool next in the Premier League. Then Wolves away. Rapid Vienna in the uh, Europa League. Then they get City away. That's tough. Then it's Brighton at home and then Chelsea at home. So difficult next five games. Difficult next five games will really tell us a lot about the Hammers. But I think David Moyes deserves massive credit for the job he's doing. On the opposite side, I think Dean Smith deserves a lot of criticism. That's four straight defeats from for Villa. Six defeats in the Premier League already this season. He hasn't figured out how to use any of his new players. He finally drops Mings and brings in House when Toon Zabi is sitting there. He's playing Ashley Young in centre midfield. The team don't have to seem to have any kind of game plan. It all seems to be very stagnant, very dull. They're only three points off the relegation spots. And I've said before, I think Wes Edens is super. Super ambitious. You look at what he's done with the Milwaukee Bucks. Turned them from a nothing franchise into NBA champions. He was going to sack Mike Budenholzer, the coach of the Bucks, if they didn't make the NBA Finals last year. So they had to win the Eastern Conference just for him to keep his job. And they've been the best regular season team in the entire NBA the two previous seasons. But flamed out in the playoffs. Last season, I think they had the second or third best record in the Eastern Conference. But he was under massive pressure. And I, I can't see how he won't look at Dean Smith the same way. They've pumped a lot of money into that club. They want that club to be right up in the mix. They will have entered this season with big expectations of a European place challenge. Didn't necessarily have to get a European place, but had a challenge for it. Right now, they look more like they could go down. And it's not all a Jack Grealish thing. It can't be, because you've still got really good players. But Cons is not as good this season as he was last year. A big part of that is having to carry a centre-back all season. Martinez doesn't look as good as he did last year. Douglas Louise is out of form. Wendy is out of form. Watkins is out of form. Bailey's had some injuries, but he didn't play well at the weekend. He's not getting the best out of this group. And tactically, he looks very, very basic. I think Dean Smith could well struggle to see out Christmas if results don't turn around for Villa. And you look at their next five, there's some winnable games here. Seth Hampton, away, Brighton at home Palace away, but then City at home, Leicester at home, and then it's Liverpool away. That's a tough run. They should be able to get a result against Southampton. They've got better players but Southampton have a bit of momentum now. It's a Friday night game down under the lights at St. Mary's crowd's going to be well up for it Palace is going to be tough. That's a game I think in previous years they'd have looked at as one they'd win away from home Brighton the same Brighton are playing really well. You know, they've got some easier games in December. You know, Norwich, Burnley. But they've also got Chelsea and, Chelsea and Leeds away. And Leeds will be scrapping for every point as well. I think Dean Smith's going to find himself in the hot seat quite soon. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break here. And when I come back, we're going to have a look at the Spurs situation as it develops today. So I'll see you in a few minutes. Right, welcome back. So, um, Tottenham lost at the weekend, 3-0, at home to Manchester United. The result is bad enough, the performance was worse. Tactically, it wasn't good. They were very, very open. They were committing too many men into bad areas without ever really seeming to have much of a purpose in what they were doing. I'm not sure why Nuno is insistent on playing a back four because I don't think he's good enough to coach a back four and Spurs don't have the centre-backs to play a back four. They've got Romero and that's it. He is the only centre-back at that club who's a legitimate starter for a team that could challenge for a Premier League title or even top four. I like Jaffa Tanganga, but he's not quite there yet and obviously he's not in the team at the moment. Emerson Royal is a wing-back, not a full-back. You've got Regulon wing-back, not full-back. Why is Eric Dyer continually in the team? Is he your Conor Cody? Because Conor Cody wasn't good for you. Defensively, he was a liability. Yes, he could ping a ball. But defensively, he was a liability. And he put a ceiling on what you could do at that club. I don't think it's all his fault. Because, you know... Heusberg and Skip didn't work in this game, but they have worked. And a lot of people were clamouring for them as a pairing only a few weeks ago. But LaCelso looked lost in that number 10 spot without any sort of service of ball into him. The biggest issue was Harry Kane. His performance was a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. And his performances for most of the season have been shambolic. He is running just over half the amount he did last season per game. Last season, he was between 10 and 11 kilometers per game. This season, he's between just under six and just under seven. That's not good enough. Not good enough at all. Spurs fans let their feelings be known after this game. And by all accounts... Nuno going wasn't on the agenda, even at full, you know, even as that game went away from them. But when the fans turned the way they did and how quickly they did, it seems like Daniel Levy and Fabio Paratici felt they had no choice. They held crisis talks last night. And then this morning, the news broke with a statement from the club that Nuno would no longer be the manager. Of Tottenham Hotspur. Now, I thought the state the statement was interesting because Daniel Levy's name doesn't appear on the statement. Doesn't appear anywhere on the statement. So the statement reads: the club can can uh, sorry the club can today announce that Nuno Espirito Santo and his coaching staff, Ian Cathro, Rui Barbosa, and Antonio Diaz have been relieved of their duties. Fabio uh, Paratici, Managing Director of Football, said, I know how much Nuno and his coaching staff wanted to succeed, and I regret that we've had to take this decision. Nuno is a true gentleman and will always be welcome here. We would like to thank him and his coaching staff and wish them well for the future. A further coaching update will follow in due course. Nowhere is Daniel Levy's name mentioned. This is very... Much new uh, Paratici. Levy has clearly tried to create separation between himself and the football side, which is why Paratici's name, uh, title, is managing director of football, rather than just director of football. It is being made clear he is running the football side of the club, and Levy runs the business side of the club. Whether that's true or not, nobody knows. Only those two. But Levy's obviously come under a lot of criticism. And much of it justified over the last year or so. Um, the Mourinho appointment was a strange one. We, I, I was hopeful it would work because I like Jose. But it was clear that he was starstruck. The over cost, the overruns and the overcost in the stadium, a lot of people criticised Levy for that and said that was mortgaging Spurs' future. The Super League. Which, again, I still think was a better idea than people are making it out to be. had flaws, of course, but there was a lot of good about it. And I think it will come back round again. And I think Spurs had to be in it. If it was going to happen. That wasn't a bad move by Levy in any way, shape or form. The saga after the Mourinho sacking. And the sheer number of managers that Levy has worked through in his time at Spurs. And a lot of people have said it's time for him to go. The problem is he can't go because Spurs are owned in a weird way. ENIC owns Spurs, they're a financial consulting firm owned by Joe Lewis. So technically, Joe Lewis doesn't directly own Spurs. And Daniel Levy doesn't work for ENIC, he is part of ENIC, he owns 30% of that company. So he is more owner than simple employee. I don't imagine he's going to sack himself. So that's a very difficult situation. The summer was a shambles for them in terms of the managerial search, because let's be honest, they didn't want Nuno. The fans didn't want Nuno. Nuno was what they ended up with. Like when Liverpool ended up with Rodgers after trying for Klopp, trying for De Boer, Boas talked himself out of the job. They ended up with a choice of Roberto Martinez and Brendan Rodgers. Neither of which was what they set out to get when that process began. But Rodgers didn't work initially. For 18 months, Rodgers worked. From Christmas of his first season through to the end of his second season, Rodgers worked as Liverpool manager. And maybe in time, Nuno could have worked as well, but the fans turned very, very quickly because the fans have grown fed up of this. They're fed up of watching their star striker stroll around the pitch. They're fed up of watching dull football because they had dull football under Mourinho. A lot of them struggled to see why Pochettino was removed now I think Pochettino's removal was warranted at the time I still think that I think he had to move on I think they had to move on in the summer they tried to get a couple of different managers their initial shortlist seemed to be Ten Hag who turned them down to stay at Ajax Nagelsmann who was already going to Bayern Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter now whether they made real approaches to either of those I have no idea But the reports were that both turned the job down. Then Conte fell into their lap. Antonio Conte is one of the four best managers in the world. And he fell into their lap. And somehow they made a mess of that. Then it was going to be Fonseca. Then it was going to be Reno Gattuso. And all of a sudden you end up with Nuno. So let's count through. Ten Hag, Nagelsmann, Rodgers, Potter, Conte. Cattuso, Fonseca. Nuno was the eighth choice. At best, the eighth choice that we heard about publicly, I'm sure there was others that they approached privately. So they didn't want Nuno, but that's who they got. They won the first three games. The football wasn't inspiring, but they were winning, and that was all that really mattered. And then Harry Kane came back into the team, and it all fell apart. Uh, oh, yeah, Guy is right. They tried to get Pochettino back. They approached PSG about Pochettino in the summer because Pochettino was rumored to be open to returning. So that's Nuno was the ninth choice in the summer. Nuno is not a great manager, but he is a good manager. He's a short-term manager. The problem is he probably needed a break. He was probably a bit burnt out after his his spell at Wolves and, you know, the intensity that he works with he probably need a little break, and hopefully he takes that now. Though I, I imagine he will get job offers before the season is out. But they've made this decision to remove Nuno, and they have to act fast. Now, it appears like they are acting very, very fast. Because reports are that Antonio Conte is about to be appointed. As the new manager of Tottenham Hotspur It appears like Three months late But early enough to maybe save this season Antonio Conte is going to become the Spurs manager Now it's set to be an initial contract allegedly of 18 months With options to extend it beyond that Now I think that's both of them taking a safety net Conte not committing too long term to this job And Spurs also not Committing long term in the case that It all blows up and they have to Sack him and pay him off Because they're going to be paying Mourinho for a few years Uh, They're going to owe Nuno Obviously a payoff For the 18 months left in his deal Because the only time they weren't going to be able to Sack him without a payoff Was at the end of this this season So by sacking him so early They're basically going to pay him two years salary To not work for them Now he might not have a guaranteed contract So he might just get a, a settlement Um, Spurs players have been told To prepare Sorry, Guy is just popping something in here Matt Law uh, Who is close to Spurs He is reporting That Tottenham players have been told To prepare for the fact that Conte could take training tomorrow So this has happened early So my feel on this Is that They may have already been Talking to Conte Because there has been rumours about Nuno for a few weeks now but allegedly it just sacking him wasn't an imminent thing until the fans turned but i i reckon they went and during their talks about Nuno last night i think Levy and Paratici made the call to Conte and checked his temperature on the job and i think he gave them a positive reaction he's had a little break now after leaving Inter in June He's probably ready to get back to work after four months at home. I would imagine his wife is driven, demented. Imagine what he's like. Probably stands over as she's cooking, jumping around the place, screaming at her to add a little bit more pepper, a little bit more seasoning, leave the pasta on a little bit longer. I'd say he's a nightmare to have around the house. But I think this is, if they get him, this is a home run for Spurs. This is a top four manager in the world. Klopp, Pep, Conte, Simeone. Put them in whatever order you want. Because I don't think there's a correct answer of which of them is the best manager. I think you can make legitimate arguments that all four of them are the best manager in the world. But those four are separated from everybody else. In the next group, you'd put your Thomas Tuchel's. I think you might put your Zidane's, your Allegri's. But those are the four. Those are the four best managers in the world. And if Spurs can have one of those, it's huge for them. If it turns out that Oli, by beating Spurs, gifted Spurs the manager that United and United fans really wanted, I think that's hilarious comedy. Now, I don't think it was ever close of him going to United. I don't think there was ever a conversation. I don't think Oli has actually been in real internal danger of getting the sack yet. I'm sure there's been conversations had, but I don't think they've ever gone down the path of who will we bring in. They probably have ideas. Every club has ideas. Liverpool have ideas about who they'd bring in if Klopp left tomorrow. Of course they do. Contingency planning is is a basic thing that you would absolutely do. I look at the Spurs squad, I think it's a much better fit for Conte than the United squad. I think this squad really suits him quite well. Lloris isn't the keeper he was. He's still a good goalkeeper. Conte just won a title with Handanovic. I think he can win a title with Hugo Lloris. Right wing back, you've got Emerson, you've got Doherty. Natural wing-backs, not full-backs. Natural wing-backs. Left side, you've got Reguilon and Sessignon. Natural wing-backs. They're ideal for Conte. I think he will absolutely love having those four as as wing-backs and being able to rotate them. Centre-back options aren't great. Romero is a stud. He is going to be a world-class defender. I think you put him in the middle of the three, as he did for Atalanta last year, and I think he elevates the ones around him. Now, I think your, your starters should probably be Tanganga to the right and maybe... Maybe Joe Roden is the best option on the left. Maybe. But I think their two areas Spurs will have to invest is bring in two starting centre-backs. It would be no surprise if they approach Inter Milan for Scrinier in January to come in and play that right-sided role. Backups to them, you have Davinson Sanchez. Maybe Conte can turn him around. The talent is there. It's between the years has been the issues. Judgment. Nobody is a fan of Eric Dyer, but Dyer is a backup centre back, whatever. And Ben Davies is a solid backup centre back in a three. That's what he is now. He's not a left back, he's a backup centre back in a three. You get one centre back in, say you get in Schrinier in January, you move Tanganga to the left, and Roden becomes the backup centre back, and you shoot Eric Dyer from a cannon. His midfield at Inter was. Brozovic, Barella. Pau Torres could be an option next summer. Guys suggest Pau Torres. I think next summer he'll be an option for that left-sided centre-back role. Because I don't think there's a move for him to Real Madrid. United are off the table having gotten Varane. And I think he would like to play for Conte. Schrinier, Romero and Torres as a three. I think that's really strong. I think that's really strong. Especially with the wing-backs they have. I think that's really good. Midfield, Brozovic, Barella, Sensi or Eriksson. That was the midfield at Inter. Different roles for different folks. Brozovic, defensive midfielder, sitting deep, very good in the ball. Heusberg fills that role perfectly. Winks is a solid backup. The Sensi-Eriksson role is kind of a playmaking role. Joining the attack, you want goals from that position. Lacelso is the perfect fit for that role, and Endembeli could be a good backup. Or if it's not Endembeli, I think Delhi could play that role as the backup. But moving on, the other role is the Borello one. That's the more difficult one. That's the aggressive ball-winning role. That's the one that energetic box-to-box player. Ollie skips a good backup in that role. He's not a starter-quality player for a team that wants to win the league. Now, there is a player inside Tanguy Endabele that could be that guy. But I don't know if it can be unlocked or not. And if it can't, he probably needs to go. Or he's the backup in the other role. And he's a great backup to have. You'd be happy to have him or LaSalle, So in that role. Give you different options, different looks. Be fine. They need to start, find that start, starting midfielder. So, centre-back in January, starting midfielder and starting centre-back in the summer. Those are the three positions they need to fill. But you've got the perfect front two in Kane and Son. You've got the likes of Brian Hill. Bergvine can play either through the middle or he can play on as a right wing back under um, Conte. Lucas Moore will be an option. I think this squad is good enough for Conte to walk in and potentially get top four this season if he gets a centre-back in January. I really do. I look at the the kid they bought in the summer, Pape Matar Sar. He could be the one in that Barella role, but I think they've loaned him for two years. In which case he's off the table. But I think Conte, if they back him, he'll make them a top four team, no doubt. If they back him, I think he can make them a title challenger. I really do. Not this year, but next year. This season. Top four is the best they can hope for. Fourth is the best they can hope for. The top three are going to be the top three. Chelsea, Liverpool, City, in whatever order. Fourth is there for the taking. Right now, West Ham are in possession of that spot. But I think you look at that squad, I think it's a good fit for him. I think there's really good players there underperforming. The biggest task for him is going to be getting Harry Kane motivated. And getting his head back in the game, but Harry Kane would be a fool to want away from this guy. This guy has done great things for attacking players in his in his managerial career, even though he's got this reputation as a defensive coach. It's he's not. He just plays a back three, it, and his teams are really good defensively. Doesn't make him a defensive coach. Thomas Tuchel not a defensive coach. Currently, he's playing a more defensive style of football than he traditionally has. But Thomas Tuchel's an attack-minded coach. He just happens to set a defense up quite well. If Kane is any, Kane and Son, as the Lukaku and Latour Martinez, could be phenomenal. With the patterns of play... And the moves that Conte will put in place for them, the little, you know, movement subsets he uses in his attacking game plans. Kane would be a fool to walk away from this. This is a top four manager. It's the best manager you're ever going to play under, unless you go and play for Pep. But Pep is going to leave in 2023. He's already pretty much confirmed that. Conte, if Spurs treat him right, He's got a good relationship with Paratici. If Spurs treat him properly. And back him. Conte could be at Spurs. Four or five years. He could see out. The last years of Kane's prime. And he could help him win things. The thing for Conte is. If he gets fourth. And wins the FA Cup. He's. He's a god at Spurs. Now he'll want the title. Because that's what he wants. But if he wins a cup there. They haven't won a cup in a long time. If Kane wins a cup there. It'll mean more. if than if he wins a title somewhere else. To be one of their own and win a cup. After years of winning nothing. I think this job is tailor made for Conte. Definitely needs some pieces. Couple of centre backs and that aggressive ball winning box to box ball of energy in midfield. But Schurrle, Pau Torres, that would really get that defence in good shape. There's other options. Maxence Lacroix could be a really strong option to bring in from Wolfsburg in January, um, and would be cheaper than Schurrle, and potentially has a higher ceiling as well. Uh, Nehu and Perez, maybe you could go and get him Maybe you could bring in Lissandro Martinez from Ajax As the left side centre-back That really aggressive type That Conte loves Maybe he'll play Romero When he gets everything the way he wants Maybe he goes Romero on the right And someone like Lissandro Martinez on the left Because he does tend to like Two more aggressive centre-backs In those wider roles And then more of a ball player in the middle Benucci, David Luiz, uh, Stefan DeVry. So maybe he goes, goes and gets Alessandro Martinez and maybe plays Joe Roden in the middle for a little while because Roden's a decent ball player. Now, you'd still want to upgrade, obviously, but that could be a good starting point for them. And Alessandro Martinez in January, I think 25 million probably gets him. Do you know? I really do think there's a great, great scope for Spurs here if they get this man in, to get this done across the line. A couple of months too late, but still. Better to have it than not have it at all. Um, Fascinating. Maybe by the time I record tomorrow, it will be a done deal. It sounds like it's edging towards being a done deal tonight. Paperwork and everything is being drawn up, it would appear. Um, I just think it's funny I just think it's funny that Oli was was on the verge of the sack last Sunday Conte was the man that all the United fans wanted we were told by certain spoofer journalists that it was going to happen in the international break but Oli get these three games and in the first one of them he gets the, the opposition manager sacked and that team turns around and points, Conte. I don't know what will make United fans more angry. The fact that Oli's still on the job. Or the fact that Conte will be somewhere else. But that is funny. It's funny to me anyway. Um, and it takes the best option off the table for Oli. To replace Oli. Now there's nobody out there other than Zidane. Who apparently has said he doesn't want the job. I mean who else is out there? Managers that have been sacked. There's no one great sitting out there. Nobody even that's very good. Sitting out there, Allegri's in a job Conte being be in a job Zidane doesn't want it I still think I had my three-man list For United, Taghi, uh Potter and Ten Hag That's still who I'd go for if I was them But this is funny This is funny uh, We'll finish up then with the Gar Crooks team of the week Which this week I don't actually have many problems with Bar one, so he's gone Ramsdale in goal No problem there, he played very well Mark Wehe was excellent against City, deserving. Gabriel, excellent and scored his goal. I, I think that's why he put him in, but never mind. Gabriel deserves to be in it. He, he's been excellent for for uh, Arsenal in, in the turnaround. He put in Rafa Varane, and I do take an issue with that one because he got, he got opened up a couple of times. He didn't defend very well, and he didn't have much to do, so I'd be a little bit against that one. In midfield, he's gone Reese James, eh. He scored two goals, fine. Declan Rice, absolutely. Conor Gallagher, absolutely. Mwepu scored, but Basuma was the best midfielder on the pitch. Now, Basuma did only play about 60, so I can understand that one. Basuma would be the perfect midfielder for Spurs in that Barella-type role. Basuma would be unbelievably good in that role. You get him in there with Heusberg deeper and then LaSeltzer end and belly in that third role, whichever one hits form first, that's a hell of a midfield. That is a bit of everything. Good wing backs, good attack, sort of defense. Basuma in January could be available. I know he's going to AFCON or he's due to go to AFCON if it goes ahead. But still, I think Brighton would do business if you went in for him. I think him and Lissandra Martinez and Schurrle. I think that could be perfect. And that's probably, what did you say? 45 million for Basuma, 20, 25 for Martinez. That's 70. Schurrle is probably 50. It's 120 million, which is, a, it is an expense, no question. But I mean, there's a couple of players in that Spurs squad you could sell. I think you could find a buyer for Eric Dyer. I think you could sell Harry Winks if need be. Uh, I think you could sell Lucas Moura. I think you can sell Deli Ali. You could probably sell Jack Clark. So they could probably raise 50, 60, maybe even 70 million for that group of players. You could probably sell on Davinson Sanchez if he's going to be a backup. You know, there's players there you can sell and you can replace them with, you know, just good solid squad players. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that Spurs could do that. You know, 45 million in the summer and then go and spend 75 or 45 million in January and go and spend 75 in the summer. I think then you've got a really good team Now he probably want to bring in some more experienced players into the squad. But he does tend to use them as squad players. He doesn't tend to throw them into the team every single week. So and they tend to be cheap, you know, two, three million, sometimes free transfers. The wage bill will go up, that's no question. But I, I think I, I think if you get him, I, I really think he'll do well. Um anyway, uh Connor Gallagher could also be that player if they wanted to wait till next summer. Connor Gallagher could also be that player for for Spurs. He really could be that player. He, he just looks very, very good. Um, up front, he went with Zaha, no problem. He went with Cavani and Ronaldo. I know they both scored. I, they played pretty well. I don't know that they belong in the team of the week. Like, I don't know how Leandro Trossard is not in that team of the week. For me, Trossard over Cavani is a definite, based on what I watch at the weekend. A definite. If you want to put Cristiano in then fine. But I think. I think Trasad has to be in that team of the week. I've gone long. I will leave it at that. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully with more news on Conte. Potentially he will be in position by then. And we'll have a few days of gossip to catch up on. A few other bits and bobs. So. I'll leave it there and I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Network.